Do you remember the Seinfeld episode, if you're old enough to go back that far, uh, where George Costanza realized that all of his natural impulses were wrong, his instincts were not trustworthy. Every decision he ended up making led him the wrong way, led him to failure, led him to uh, disappointment. So one day, with the help of his friends, George Costanza realized that his impulses, his instincts were wrong, and he decided every decision he had to make, he would go the opposite of what he thought would be right. It turned out well for him. Everything he did after that, when he didn't do what he thought he should do, or he naturally thought he should do, worked out. Of course, that's um, a funny illustration, but it's somewhat true of ourselves as well. Uh, as we're looking at wisdom in the book of Proverbs, we find that wisdom is not natural. There is a growth that needs to occur of wisdom. Our natural instincts are often wrong, will often lead us down the wrong path. So, we need to question our natural instincts and build up wisdom for understanding. And the book of Proverbs is, uh, in, in many ways, a, um, a letter from parent to child to help them to be wise, to help them to live a life, as it says here in verse 2, uh, a prolonged life and a life of peace and prosperity. In verse 3, in uh, verse 4, uh, that will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and other people. Wisdom is important. And unfortunately, I fear that wisdom is in short supply. We need to cultivate wisdom if we are going to live well. God wants to teach us wisdom. God wants to guide us on the path of wisdom. And notice that word path. What do you do when you're on a path? You take a step-by-step -step walk. Some of you might run a path, but most people walk, and this is a step-by-step -step growth in wisdom. And the path is leading somewhere. You're trying to get somewhere, but you don't get there immediately. And wisdom is something we learn step-by-step -step as we follow God each step of the way in order to gain understanding, in order to gain um, perspective that leads us to make good, solid, God-honoring choices. Now, verses 5 and 6 are some of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, or in this translation, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This phrase, trust in the Lord with all your heart, is on plaques, is on coffee mugs, is you find it all over the place because it sounds wonderful. 
trust in the Lord. But a lot of times when people hear that, they hear it through the grid of their own expectations, their own hopes and dreams, and they think that God's job then is to accomplish for them what they hope to accomplish in their lives. I, I want something, so I'm going to trust in the Lord to make it happen for me. But the, the new, newer NIV, which is what we're using today, says in verse six, in all your ways, submit to him. And that's a better translation of what we used to read as acknowledge him. In all your ways, submit or acknowledge that he is Lord and you are not. In all your ways, understand that God's ways are better than yours. Understand that your purpose as God's created one is to honor and glorify God. So God determines what is right and good and the best way for us to live. We do not determine this ourselves and then ask God to rubber stamp our plans. We submit to God's plans. We submit to God's understanding of our lives and then live as God has. God will direct us. So how does wisdom develop? Well, it says here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in God means trusting God's plans. In all your ways, submit to him. Acknowledge that God is God and you are not. That God knows you, God knows me better than we could possibly know ourselves. And God wants what is good and right for us, best for us. Lean not on your own understanding. Our understanding, our impulses are not always right. So how do we get new understanding? As Romans says, by the renewing of our minds and our minds are renewed through fellowship with God and through interaction with God's word. There are some very clear rules in the Bible, some very clear directives that tell us what is right and what is wrong. Like thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not murder. If you're tempted maybe to shoot your neighbor, realize that the scripture says no. You don't have to pray about that and say, is this, a, is this a good idea for me at this time or to commit adultery? Is this a good idea for me at this time? No, it's never a good idea. God says no to these things. But there are other things that are not as clear and it's up to us to find and discover the principles underlying what scripture teaches so that we know how to be wise in those situations. It also means that we grow in our trust in God's goodness, living a life in fellowship with God. As we obey God step by step, we discover more and more God's goodness and God's presence with us, and we are able then to find God's goodness and presence with us. It's, it's a matter of doing it, and then you realize that it is good. You trust God, and God is good, and you continue then, and that builds your trust in God, so you trust God and discover that God is good. The scripture here says, lean not on your own understanding. And I think that is, um, to George Costanza's point, um, wise for us not to trust our own instincts, but we are to still be intelligent about how we live out our walk with God. Uh, one, one very wise friend wrote this recently. He said, recently I've seen, heard several people suggesting that Christians who do anything beyond praying to God for his protection during this pandemic are not really trusting him. 
that wearing a mask or social distancing are signs of a weak faith or living in fear instead of faith. So is prayer alone, with no other action on our part, the only faithful response to this threat? An illustration from the book of Nehemiah would answer no. In the fourth chapter of that book, Nehemiah is leading the effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But there was a great local opposition to this rebuilding effort, and he and his workers were under threat of violence. How did Nehemiah respond? The short answer is found in Nehemiah 4.9. We prayed to our God and posted a guard. Note that Nehemiah both trusted God in this situation by praying about it and took concrete action himself to protect his people by posting a guard. Nehemiah's posting of a guard did not mean his faith was weak or that he didn't trust God for protection. He took that action because using the wisdom and resources God had given him was part of God's plan for him. And so many times people say, well, what's God's plan for my life? And they want to see a... Um, flaming arrow fly through the window with God's plans outlined there for them. Well, that's not usually how God works. God calls us to use our intellect, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of his word, and discover what options are available for us. And he doesn't necessarily always say, you must choose this option, and then I will bless you, or this option, and I'll never talk to you again. God is with us no matter which option we choose. And God's plan and purpose for you is that you grow in your understanding of him. You grow in your trust in him. You grow in your relationship with him. Much more than his plan for you is any specific path. Whatever path you're on, God is there. So, um, as we continue to gain wisdom, we continue to draw close to God, trusting God's revelation wherever we find ourselves. And a good definition of wisdom is this, and I used it a few weeks ago. Wisdom is competency with regard to the realities of life. As we grow in relationship with God, as we grow in our understanding of what God's word says, we will gain competency in relation to how to live life. And in order to do that, we can't just trust ourselves. Tim Keller says it this way, fools see them see fools see only from their own perspective. I'm going to go back maybe even farther than um, the uh, Seinfeld episode to uh, Dead Poets Society. Do you remember when Robin Williams' character had them all get up on their desks, uh, up on his desk to see things from a different perspective? He said, I stand upon my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. We must constantly uh, not trust our own instincts, our own preconceived ideas, but listen and consider God's ways, God's purposes. And sometimes that happens through listening to others. C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity wrote this. The real test is this. Suppose one reads a story of filthy atrocities in the paper. Then suppose that something turns up suggesting that the story might not be quite true or not quite so bad as it was made out to be. 
is one's first feeling. Oh, thank God, even they aren't quite so bad as that. Or is it a feeling of disappointment? And even a determination to cling to the first story for the sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies are as bad as possible. Is it, if it is the second, then it is, I am afraid, the first step in a process which, if followed to the end, will make us into devils. You see, one is beginning to wish that black was a little blacker. If we give that wish its head, Later on, we shall wish to say that gray is black, and then to see white itself as black. Finally, we shall insist on seeing everything as bad and not be able to stop doing it. We shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. Aren't we seeing that today? People want to believe the worst about other people. They want to attribute to them disgusting motives that probably are not true. And re they refuse to see things from any other perspective. Tim Keller says, that's the mark of a fool. We must submit ourselves to God, but also allow ourselves to be in community with people who might disagree with us on areas of wisdom, areas of our own life, and then find there, the truth of God's word, the truth of God, God's spirit leading us through other people. Do not lean on your own understanding alone. Trust God and trust God to move through other people. Have you ever heard of the Joe Harry window? The Joe Harry window says that there are four quadrants. The, the first is uh, the things that other people see about you that you don't see. Another one is the things that you see and other people see about yourself. Another one is things you understand about yourself that others don't understand. And the other is things that you don't see in yourself and neither do, does anyone else. But the importance of understanding the Joe Harry window is to realize that other people see things differently and that does not mean that they're wrong and you're right. It means that you can learn from them and they can learn from you. Wisdom is seeking knowledge, seeking understanding, seeking to truly understand things as they are, not as we wish them to be. And finally, the wise understand trials. My son, do not, this is verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. One might read the initial, the initial verses of this passage and say, well, if I obey God well enough, my life's going to be easy. Everything's going to fall into place. And if you've lived life uh, in relationship with God for any length of time, you will probably say, no, that's not true. And scripture assures us that that is indeed not true. But the difference is when trials come, when we are being wise, when we are living in fellowship with God, we will find that God is with us through those trials. We will understand that God can use those trials to bring us into greater wisdom, to greater understanding, to greater and deeper relationship with him. On Friday, 
I led the funeral for Dot Amundsen, a regular attender of our church. At that funeral, I realized how much I had missed out by not getting to know Dot better. One of the uh, one of her sons, well, both of her sons spoke uh, and spoke eloquently. One of them told the story of how um, Dot got married, had her uh, sons, and the, the her husband decided to move back uh, with the family to Minnesota, where they had where he had grown up. And then, after establishing the family there in Minnesota, decided to leave them all, and Dot was left as a single mother trying to make ends meet, didn't even have a car because she really didn't have much of anything left. But her faith in Jesus Christ carried her. Her relationship with God gave her strength and she was able to raise those sons to, to find employment. She ended up moving back to Pennsylvania, for which we're very grateful as we were able to uh, get to know her a bit uh, through that. But she, her faith in Jesus Christ carried her through all those trials. It was one morning when she realized, she realized that she could trust Jesus, that she was able then to move on from the pain that she had experienced. Dot loved Jesus so much and understood the gospel so well that she asked her sister, Kitty, to share the gospel at her memorial service, and she did a wonderful job doing that. Dot had found the secret to living life well, to living life with joy and peace, and that secret, which shouldn't be secret, is to know Jesus Christ, to trust in God's word, to trust in God's love, and to rest in the knowledge that God is good and God is with us, not measured necessarily always by our circumstances, but measured by his word, by his presence with us, and by his ongoing direction of our lives. I have said many times that karma is a flawed concept. Many people think if you do this, this, and this well, then all your life will fall into place. I'm going to go even farther back than Dead Poet Society with this one, and with apologies to anyone who is um, younger than I, which is many of you. Do you remember Maud? Do you remember what Maud used to say to her husband? God'll get you for that one, Walter. She saw God as karma. She saw God as the judge in the sky who is ready to get you if you do something wrong and to maybe bless you if you do something right. Well, God works through all the circumstances of our lives and does not get us, but carries us when things are going well and when things are challenging. Suffering will make you wise if you allow it to. Suffering will make you stupid or foolish if you allow it to. Suffering can make you bitter. Suffering can make you uh, afraid. Suffering can make you proud. But suffering, in, as you walk with God, makes you wise. Character Build up, building up your character will prepare you for suffering. And then as you endure suffering, your character will be built even more. But don't, don't be unprepared for when challenges come. Allow 
yourself to be ready by trusting in God step by step by step on the path of life. The key, one of the keys to understanding wisdom, to understanding that wisdom is first and foremost a relationship with God that allows us to be well-equipped to live life is the foundational understanding that God delights in you. God wants you to live in fellowship with him. God wants you to live a confident and peace-filled and joy-filled life. That doesn't always mean it will be easy, but it means that there will be a settledness of your soul that allows you to make choices that are wise and good. This, my friends, is wisdom. This means trusting in God and living as God directs us. I pray that that is true for you. I pray that that is true for me.